This is Grow Your Life with Jason Scott Montoya, a podcast with stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another episode of Inspirational People. I'm Jason Scott Montoya, and today I get to introduce you to Amy Ogden. Amy, say hello. Hi. (laughs) Did I get it right, Ogden? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Amy is a sales expert and a brand builder, business consultant, and speaker. She recently founded The Collective and co-created the travel booking site, We Travel Forward. The Collective matches agencies with travel, real estate, and lifestyle clients, and in the short time since launch, she's already had incredible success and demand. After stumbling across her LinkedIn profile, I watched and connected with her TEDx talk about sufficiency and the inadequacy cycle, where she shares her personal journey of making a dramatic life change and the fruit that unfolded from that choice. So thank you, Amy, for joining us today and sharing your life. So tell us about you and your story and, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I, I shared some of my story in my TEDx talk and, and I've had uh, the pleasure of sharing it on some other podcasts as well. And every time I tell it, I'm like, did I really do all that? It, and not in a good way, almost in like a, like, what was I thinking kind of way? Um, yeah. But I'm originally from Seattle, went to college in Florida and really started my career in Florida. So, you know, moved there at 19 and stayed till I was in my early 30s. And I went to school there, got a job, bought a condo, you know, all the things you do when you're in your, yeah. in your 20s and 30s. And, and had, you, had you picked Seattle or was that just kind of the place? Well, you I'm just, from Seattle. I was born there. Just, so your, yeah. I didn't choose it, but I, but I loved it. I'm yeah. delighted that that's where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I went to Florida and, and, you know, in all honesty, I've always been honest about it. I didn't love Florida. I still don't love Florida. Um, it was just where I lived and yeah. I was too young and broke to really know like how to get out of there. Um, I knew I didn't want to be there, but I didn't know where else to go. I had mm-hmm. a job that was fine. Um, you know, but I was, you know, paycheck to paycheck. So it's not like I had enough money to like move to. You know, I even looked like, I know you're in Atlanta. I looked at Atlanta. I looked at Boston. Yeah. I looked at Austin. I just didn't know how to do it. And yeah. looking back, I wish I just honestly asked my mom for money. She would have loaned me <laughs> money and I could have just done it. But you know, oh well, hindsight. So stayed in Florida for a long time, but I had a great life there. I mean, I'm just, I just didn't want to stay. And I'm such a proponent of like, if you're not happy where you are, make the move. I wish I had. Yeah. But I stayed and eventually moved to San Diego, lived there for four years. It was great. But then I did in San Diego what I wished I'd done in Florida, which was the second I knew I was done, I got out. I was like, mm. okay, you know, rather than, I mean, it's San Diego. It's this beautiful city. I had a great life there. There was nothing wrong. Um, but again, I uh, knew it was time to go. And I learned the lesson the first time that you don't overstay your own welcome anywhere mm. and um, left San Diego and came to New York, but that San Diego to New York move was, was really what my talk was centered on. And, and really that thing I look back at and just go, did I really do that? Where, <laughs> you know, New York is, um, amazing, but it's the living here is different. You can't bring a home full of furniture to a New York apartment. You, you know, and really when I sat back and looked at it, the only way for me to really move from San Diego to New York was to get rid of almost everything I owned. Mm. Um, including my car. I gave my precious dog to my best friend. Um, <laughs> he's a very large, high-maintenance animal that I just couldn't envision trying to raise in the city. Um, and over the course of several months, I just gave away and sold 
everything I owned. I got it down to like seven moving boxes of things. Wow. And what's crazy is then I came to New York and I was still taking things to Goodwill in New York. Like I just was like, when you get rid of everything you own, you realize you really need very, very little on the day to day. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, completely liquidated my life, moved to New York and like completely started over. Yeah. And it's been five years. Okay. Wow. So what, yeah. I mean, as you're going through that purging process, you know, it's, it's, it can be, I guess, scary and, and uh, exhilarating, you know, what was it for you? <laughs> Just it being able to downsize and, and get rid of it. You know, it was hard. I mean, I really imagine, and this is really what it, it was, it was, it was emotional, but not even like, I don't care about stuff. Like I've never been that person who was emotionally attached to a sweatshirt, you know, or a picture yeah. on the wall, but it was just the, like, imagine looking at every single, like a lip gloss and being like, do I keep it? Do I donate it? Mm -hmm. Do I throw it away? Do I sell it? I mean, it was every single tiny thing yeah. in your home, a, a fork, like, <laughs> it was bananas. And so it's just mentally draining to look mm -hmm. at every single speck in your home and make big decisions of like, do I keep it forever? Do I get rid of it forever? Does it have a value? Mm -hmm. Who would want it? Like, it was just so, it was just a mentally and emotionally draining, but I did it. And I did it over the course of months. I didn't like try to do it in a weekend or a week. Yeah. Like I let myself pace it out. And I think that was helpful too. And is that something that that you drove or was that like advice given to you? How, how did that come about? And that sort of choice? No, there's no just a practicality. This. Yeah. There's, I mean, I'm sure now, or maybe then there were like blogs on, you know, how to liquidate your life and start over. But <laughs> you know, I just, I just really put one foot in front of yeah. the other. And every day I was like, well, just what can you do today? Cause the one thing I knew for sure was like, if every day I could get something done in the macro, that would be a lot, mm. you know? So yeah. what's interesting about that, and, and uh, you know, I'd like to get your feedback, you know, we're, we're in the middle of this pandemic crisis. It's hit New York harder, hardest uh, and across the country. Mm -hmm. But in a way, I think what you described and your experience and ones that I've had that have been similar, they prepared me for this type of a season. And I'm curious what your, if you agree with that, if, if that leap helped you uh, better navigate this season, and then also how can we be looking at, at this crisis and really it's, it's several, it's the economic, it's the social unrest, it's, it's the, you know, the, the health itself, you know, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I do think that the move for sure prepared me for this. When, when COVID hit, I didn't, um, I mean, obviously I, I was in shock with everyone else and, and I'm fully dealing with it like everyone else, but it just didn't rattle me because when you have very little at some points, you realize how little you need and how mm -hmm. simple life can be. And so I was, I didn't want to, I hate to use the word fine, but like I was fine. I was, I've never during COVID money has never, and like things have never been on my mind at mm -hmm. all. I thought about a lot of other things, but I definitely haven't thought about money or will I be okay? Or how will I rebuild my savings or anything like that? It just was, um, I think truly five years ago, I realized how little I need. And even mm -hmm. still today, I mean, I'm still in New York. It's hard to have a lot here. You, and not because it's expensive, but there's nowhere to put stuff. So yeah. you really do live a pretty simple life here. Even my fanciest friends, it's not like they have huge gourmet kitchens and five bedrooms, you know, yeah. <laughs> where we live pretty minimal home lives here. And I like that. Mm. So how are you, I mean, 
so tell us, I guess, a little bit about, you've been there for five years and you've got these companies that you've started. How, how did that come about? Did that come, did that start when you first moved there or that evolve over time? No, I started these companies all during COVID. So when I yeah. moved, I had a job that I was ultimately in for nine years and mm -hmm. in mid to late March, I was furloughed for five weeks. And during that five weeks, I started three different companies, mm -hmm. well, two companies and one social movement. And I had never had kind of space. I've always had, you know, very, very busy jobs. And I never had just been given kind of freedom and space to be like, there's nothing for you to do right now. Yeah. And I realized during that time, just how much you can create if you're given the space to create. So, yeah. um, so when I was furloughed, I immediately, like a day later, I launched um, We Travel Forward, which is a travel booking site where yeah. hotels can list special offers. People can book them now, travel later. So just a way to help hotels gain awareness and revenue during this time. Yeah. Um, I also launched um, Fuel the Front Lines, a nonprofit where we gave uh, meals, fresh made meals. We had them delivered to the front doors, the homes of frontline workers. My brother's okay, wow. a frontline worker and something he told me is he's like, you know, I mean, I work really long days. By the time I get home, I'm so exhausted. I don't have time to cook. I'm not going to the grocery store because I don't want to possibly infect someone. Like I'm very much mm -hmm. at risk by being an essential worker. Um, and I didn't do either of these things alone. I partnered with friends on both of them. And without those friends, I couldn't have done this. You know, I think you've mm -hmm oftentimes you need the idea, but then you need the execution and yeah. they just to execute on the idea. Okay. So those were so, so rewarding. And then I had an idea for a social movement called Hire Hospitality that would encourage hiring sectors to choose to hire from the out of work, but phenomenally talented hospitality. Mm. School. And I partnered with a company called Jit Jat Joe here in New York, and they loved the idea and ran with it. Um, mm. And I acted as campaign manager for a couple of months. Okay. Now. Yeah. yeah. So do you consider yourself more of the idea visionary than the executor operations? I tend to, yeah. I tend to have the idea and I know how it should be executed. I just don't have the tactical know-how or mm. it would just take me a long time. Right. So like we travel forward and fuel the front lines for the most part, they were just websites, but they were websites that had a lot more technicality and design built into them. And I can build a Squarespace site, but it would take me 10 times as long as yeah. my friend Erica, who was able to do it very quickly. She owns and runs a company called Prosper at Work that helps um, companies streamline and communicate with frontline workers. So okay. she was who I called when I had the idea for Feel the Frontline. She mm. also had amazing relationships with fresh meal delivery companies and was quickly able to onboard partners. So between you know the two of us, it just sort of exploded. And then with We Travel Forward, I reached out to a friend of mine, Wade Brightsky. He runs We Create Media Group outside of Chicago. They do a lot of beautiful, amazing content work for hotels. Yeah. Um, but they can also build a website overnight. So he jumped okay. right on as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I, would never, I, I would never take credit for these. These are, without those two, they just would have been ideas that I told a friend about and nothing ever happened, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I guess what, you know, a lot of people when the pandemic hit, um, they just hunker down. They just tried to survive and, and you stepped up and you leaned in. What, what do you attribute that to? I wish I knew. I think I just remember in the moment, just thinking people need solutions right now. And, you know, so many people were more encumbered than I was. I was suddenly not working. I did have, I got a puppy. I basically, I, 
I uh, got I got a puppy, was furloughed the next day, and started my com- three companies the next day. True story. Like Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday. How it happened, and it's bananas when I look back at it because I was journaling at the time, and I went back and looked at my journal to make sure that was accurate. Actually, I was like, well, "You didn't do it all like that fast," <laughs> but it, it happened, and I still remember, and I feel this way to this moment that right now is people need people, and you know, I looked around and I was like, "Yeah, I have this puppy; she's eight weeks old." But other than that, I wasn't trying to raise kids and deal with homeschooling. I didn't have a house full of family. I did not have a family sick family member like. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, if you can step up, you should step up. And mm-hmm. while other people rightfully needed to be focusing on health and wellness and family and kids, I didn't have that. So it was like, well, what can you do? And yeah. um, I didn't even expect all of this to happen. I think it was just, I had a good idea at the right time and I found the right partners to help me execute. It was kind of that trifecta, you know, mm-hmm. right yeah. idea, time, right partner. So t- I guess, tell me more about that the partnerships. You know, often, you know, there are people I, I've, I've met that, you know, they built businesses with partners and others that say never do that. And, and uh, I, I kind of a spectrum in between. So what, what are your thoughts on partnership and, and how do you navigate that well? I think when partnership works, it's beautiful. And when it doesn't work, it's pretty tragic. I've seen both yeah. sides, you know, um, personally, I don't ever plan on having a business partner. Um, yeah. I launched my final company. I'm done launching company. <laughs> but I, I so 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 going back really quickly. So I was at my last job for nine years, furloughed uh, for like five weeks at the end of March. Brought back beginning of May, but that break at the end of March through all of April, I just I felt this sudden this sudden need to create something yeah. else. And my company was so supportive. I'd been there for a long time. They absolutely championed and supported this move. It was it was great and is great. They're my best friends. But um, so then I left at the end of June and started a new company at the beginning of July called The Collective. And uh, it's my consultancy. It's a, it's a company, but it's me. I never know what to call it. Consultancy. <laughs> but um, I'll never have a business partner. I, and that's my personal choice. I, yeah. I like full control. I'd rather um, maybe keep it, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say smaller, but, you know, a little more within my capabilities, but have it just be mine. Um, these partnerships with like, we travel forward and fuel the front line. I was all in on those because they're projects. They're, you know, the passion projects, they're fun. Um, the company that I just left is run by partners and they're unbelievable. They're a phenomenal duo and they've made it work, but I've also yeah. seen a lot of examples of business partnerships over time that don't work. And yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I think I, I am averse to partnership in business, but I also know that it's not only helpful, but necessary for a lot of businesses to really happen. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I write about on, on my blog is, is I, I share, you know, how do I live better? How do I work smarter? So what does it mean to you to live better? Yeah, I really thrive in consistency and routine. I think that not in a rigid way, but in a way that kind of sets the foundation for every day. Mm-hmm. You know, pre-COVID, when I would you know jump up, run to the gym, come home, get ready, go to work, like I was running around. I mean, I'd go weeks without making my bed. I was you know just zooming in and out. And when COVID hit, and I had to be home all the time. I'm still home almost all the time. I mean, I don't go to an office. Yeah. I can't go work at a coffee shop. There's nowhere to go. I mean, I do work from home almost all day. 
And right when COVID hit, I remember thinking you need a routine because otherwise you're just going to live. It's just going to be a mess. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, you're going to roll out of bed and start working in pajamas. You can't do that. You know, you're (laughs) going to like eat ice cream for lunch. You can't do that. Like, so I created, uh, I pulled inspiration from this uh, coach I really like. Her name is Amy Young and she calls it the sacred six. And it's like, just you do these six things. So um, I created my morning sacred six and I'm not always Mm. perfect about it since launching the collective. I've definitely fallen off the (laughs) sacred six wagon a little bit, Um, but it's everything from make my bed. That was a big one. So I was like, if you have to be home all day, you have to have your bed made. So make my bed, um, 10 minutes of meditation, move my body, whether that's yoga, stretching, take my vitamins. That's something I was really bad about remembering to do before. Mm -hmm. Um, Journal. And I actually can't remember the last one. So that's bad. Anyway, you know, these are things that take 30 minutes all together in the morning. Mm -hmm. This isn't lengthy, but what I- it changes the trajectory of your day. 100%. What I found was if I- in the morning, made sure to get my sacred six done. It's sometime before 10 a.m., you know, and I didn't all have to happen like boom, 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 but just the day was better. I was more centered. I, my headspace was clear. Um, and so, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to need to be robotic about it, but I can truly say when I have that consistency, it's like everything else just goes to the nth degree better, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess, does it, do you feel like it, uh, does it give you priority when there is so much to do that you, you can't do it all? And by doing those sacred six items, you at least get the most important stuff done. Is that how you look I at it? I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I was, I do a lot of um, executive and career coaching and I have a client who I absolutely love. And we were talking the other day about the difference between uh, prioritizing yourself and self-care. Because I think a lot of times when you ask someone, like, how do you prioritize yourself? They're like, oh, I get a massage. I take a bath. I like, mm-hmm. and that's like, that's self-care. That's nothing wrong with that. But that's different than prioritizing yourself. You yeah. know, prioritizing yourself is choosing yourself first. I love James Altucher and he you know, writes books called Choose Yourself. And it's like, okay. choose yourself first. And so dedicating a part of my morning, it basically says to every day that I wake up, I choose myself. Like Mm -hmm. I choose a little bit of mental headspace. I choose to put some words on paper. I choose, you know, I choose to take my vitamins and make my bed. But like (laughs) that is, that's prioritizing yourself. And I think that we've gotten so deep down this rabbit hole of self-care and I'm all about self-care too. But I think that we have forgotten to prioritize ourselves. And Mm -hmm. that is when even more than a hot bubble bath or a massage. Like, I think that's when the magic really happens. Mm, What's the resistance to that that you find? We've been told it's selfish. I think that there's just a really messed up narrative out there about prioritizing yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm really bored with the example everyone keeps giving about like put your face mask, you know, the airplane face mask. It's it's just been so done. but, but the, the idea is there and, yeah. you know, you think nothing of that on an airplane. Um, I just wish there was a new, more modern example of what that is. But, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I grew up this way. I grew up in a family where I was told that I was selfish, that I was all about me, that I cared about mm. myself. 
And it's like, well, yeah, because if I don't care about me, who will, you know, yeah. and if I don't prioritize myself. How can I expect anyone else to? And, mm-hmm. and, um, I really like, there's like, a, there's like a war on self-prioritizing <laughs> and I want to like, I want to help fight this war. Like, I think prioritizing yourself means not accepting, not being undervalued, yeah. whether that's financially by a boss, financially by a client, um, not being uh, abused in any way, whether that's personally, professionally, mm-hmm. verbally, emotionally, physically, you name it. Um, prioritizing yourself is paying yourself first. I, I talk to a lot of CEOs who don't pay themselves. Mm-hmm. And I understand COVID is a unique time, but these are CEOs who haven't paid themselves for years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think energetically people feel that. Yeah. And, and, and I think they feel that if you're not prioritizing yourself, why would they? you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. the bar that low. Yeah. So I guess, how would you, you know, what would be the line or what would, how would you differentiate what is appropriate when it comes to prioritizing yourself versus when you're actually being selfish? What, what is that line look like? I think it's selfish when it hurts someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, prioritizing is often boundaries. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, I, I read a quote once that I loved so much, and I've repeated it to anyone who will listen, which is, the only people who get upset when you set boundaries are the people who are benefiting from you having no boundaries. So that's like, <laughs> the moment you set a boundary, if someone gets upset, that your little flag should start waving going, oh, they win when I don't have boundaries. That's mm-hmm. the sign if they get upset, if they respect it. Yeah they were not winning when you, and that's a good, like, keep those, yeah. keep those people. And, and that's, um, it's a early, it's actually an important early sign um, that we want to elicit quickly if, if there is a problem with that person or the relationship, because you don't want to go a long time into that to f- discover what you're talking about. Completely. Yeah. And so, so prioritizing yourself means making sure you're good before you put yourself out into the world or while you're out into the world. Um, so it becomes selfish when you're taking from someone else to prioritize yourself, Mm. but holding firm in your value, holding firm in how you'll be treated, what you expect, um, you know, what your role is in the world and in the relationships you have, that's not selfish. That's boundaries, you know? Yeah. So let's, let's parlay that to work. You know, how, how does, what does it mean to work smarter and, and how does, how do boundaries play a role in, in that as well? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a fear, there's a fearful mindset that, especially during COVID, I've seen a ton of in my coaching clients in my own life, um, with my friends, with people I work with. Um, so what's happened is a lot of companies that have clients, the clients have been like, well, you know, COVID, so cut our cut our fees in half, cut our retainer mm-hmm. in half. Like we're gonna just stop paying you for a while. Hope you don't mind. Like, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and I've heard way too many companies and company owners say, well, I, I'd rather get a little bit than nothing. And I don't mm-hmm. want to lose them when things come back. The problem is it's really, really hard to dig out of a hole when you don't maintain integrity in yeah. your value and in your pricing. And so that's an area of prioritizing yourself that I've seen really, really get struck, you know, really struggle during this time. And I firmly believe that I would rather have nothing than a bad version of that something. Yeah. Um, So I would rather say to someone, 
you know what, it, 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 it bums me out that we're not on the same page with, you know, what I think my value is worth and what you do. No hard feelings. Let's be friends. You know, the door, no, my doors never close. My doors don't even have a lock on them. Like, yeah. Um, and so let's stay in touch. And when the time is right, let's do it, but let's not do it right now. Best yeah. decision I've ever made. I've uh, personally in business, since I launched the collective over the last six weeks, I've turned away a lot of things yeah, um, yeah. because I just knew that the short-term gain wasn't worth the long-term energetic that it would shift mm -hmm. of not feeling valued. Yeah. So what is it that informs you in, to, to see the world this way and to see work that way? I mean, obviously you're having to teach people that don't know this. So what is it that you have that, that gives you this insight? I really think a lot of it is my upbringing. I was pretty neglected as a kid. And when you are, and I, I don't, I mean, I love my parents, but they were, they got divorced when I was young. They were very busy working mm -hmm. and, you know, this was the eighties. It was very, I was very <laughs> much in that genre of kids are meant to be seen and not heard truly. Mm -hmm. Like the, today I see so many families and it's amazing to me how much their kids are a priority. I have no concept of that, none. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think because I was so neglected as a kid, I had to prioritize myself to survive. Oh, you know, okay. at nine years old, I was a latchkey kid. I was nine and I was home yeah. alone. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that I know something people don't know. I actually think I went through like a pretty rough, uh, emotionally rough childhood where I had to protect myself and know my value and take care of myself and kind of keep out the bad guys, so to speak. And so I brought yeah. that into adulthood. Okay. And so what else would you say about working smarter? When it comes to working smarter, for sure, just do less and do the things you love doing. You know, so often the energy that you pull um, from loving what you do just like bubbles up into everything else. And yeah, see so many people who are spinning their wheels and spending so much time with clients that aren't a fit for them, jobs that aren't a fit for them, um, you know, in situations that aren't the right fit. I, I talk a lot about skipping the line. I just wrote an article on LinkedIn about it. And I say like, skip the line. Like, like, why are you like, I was talking to someone the other day and she said one area where I, as a business owner need to skip the line is um, bookkeeping. She goes, I spend so much time bogged down in reports for my clients and bookkeeping that I'm not doing the fun work that I love doing. Mm. Um, and she's like, I read your article about skipping the line and I'm trying to figure out how I can skip the line there. Either that's by telling clients, look, here's our monthly rate. Here's what I'll do. I'm not going to spin my wheels reporting and keeping all these books for you. So, you know, if you don't trust that I'm doing what I said I would do and that this is a fair rate, then not a fit, you know? Yeah. Um, so... I think when it comes to working smarter, letting go of the fear that if you turn down bad business, that said that there's just going to be crickets. Not mm -hmm. true. You know, I look a lot at things like um, I picture this. I I get these visuals where I picture all the all the work and all the stuff that you shouldn't be doing. I want you to picture it like two trash bags full of trash. You have one in each hand. Okay. You're walking down the street and you're it's New York, so we like take our trash out. You're walking down the street with your two trash bags, take your trash out. And a stranger walks up to you with a wrapped present and says, I have this present for you, but you can't unwrap it and see what's in it until you let go of these trash bags. Your hands need to be free. 
Yeah. And you're like, these trash bags pay my bills. These trash bags at least cover my rent. These trash bags at least cover my expenses. You know, all the things, right? Yeah. These trash bags will get mad at me if I put them down. These <laughs> trash bags will talk badly about me to others in the industry if I put them down. Like these are the thoughts business owners have, right? Yeah. And the person's like, okay, well, when you're ready, this gift is here, but you don't get to know, what you don't get to do is know what's in the gift to decide if you want to drop the bags. Mm -hmm. You have to drop the bags first. And I think my company, The Collective, is a great example of that. I gave notice at my last job, not even knowing about The Collective or what it was. I didn't know for over a week. All I knew is everything in me said, you have to release before you can receive. And yeah. so I released um, a job I absolutely loved, but my heart was telling me it was time for something new. And then about, it was like nine days later, I woke up on a Tuesday morning and I instantly knew what the collective, it was just the business model. It was like someone yeah. had like talked to me in my sleep about it. And I woke <laughs> up and had like the business plan. Um, but I wouldn't have known because energetically I was so involved in my job. I had mm. to let that go first. So yeah. when we talk about working smarter, don't be afraid to clean house. You know, I mean, I literally did it five years ago. I figuratively have done it many times and like, don't be so scared of clinging on to things that aren't serving you either have never served you. They don't serve you anymore. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always mean goodbye. I think you can also, again, draw those boundaries, go to the person or the situation that isn't serving you and say, look, it's on me that I have been over serving in this partnership for a while. You've done yeah. nothing wrong. I take full responsibility but I'm working on creating a smarter business with boundaries and systems that are more in line with where I need to really be to continue to run my company. So based on that, either your price is this or my service is this or whatever your thing is, right? And that's where you find out if they get mad at you, they were benefiting from you not having boundaries. And if they understand it, you've got a good partner there. Um, yeah. Let go of that fear. Drop the trash bags. Like, please drop the trash bags. Yeah. So I, the idea of releasing and letting go is, it's such a powerful one and it's, it's uh, for growth and change. And, and we are definitely, the way I see things, we're, we're I think a, a portion of our society is holding on to pre-pandemic and, and a portion is holding on to, to survive. And then there's a portion that's looking forward. So what would you say to those people that are holding on to the past and, and they want things to go back to the way they were? How would you uh, guide them? I don't know. That's hard because I get it. I really get it. There, one of my best friends, when all this was, I mean, going down, like April, you know, free fall, I said something to her like, well, but we don't want to go back to how it was. We were on autopilot. We were taking things for granted. We were in our phones too much. We were, you know... And she goes, but I was happy. And I was like, that's really fair. That's really fair. I don't think this has to be either or. I think that we are seeing these camps, right? Of the people that are like, I want it like it was. And then the people like James Altucher calls this the great reset. I really like that. I've really embraced that. This is for me, the great reset. I think I'm going to look back on 2020 as the best year of my life. And I can't believe I'm saying that in the middle of so much death and destruction. And I don't say that lightly. Mm -hmm. um, but I think even when the world is falling apart, you can be doing okay. Yeah. And um, 
So for the people, here's what I'll say is for the people who are mourning their life up until we'll just say March, you're still you, you know, maybe what you had quote unquote was concert tickets or the freedom to book a flight, sit next to a stranger, breathe the same air, you know, and check into a hotel that was full. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I'm right there. I mean, I worked in travel. I was furloughed. Like I'm not like, you know, this is, I'm right there with everyone. I yeah. lost it all. I'm living on savings. Like this isn't, this isn't like some privileged person who's above it all. I'm in it with everyone. Um, in fact, I'm one of the only, if my friend group, I'm the only person I know who lost her job um, of like my close friend group. And um, a lot of my friends, I was jealous at the beginning. They kept their full paying jobs and just got to work from home. And I was like, well, must be nice. You know, and here I was like filing for unemployment and like, you know, in the middle of all this. And um, I know there are people who are mourning the lives they had pre-COVID. And just what I can say is, but you're still you. Yeah. And I really believe this. As long as you have you, like you win. Like when you lose you, that's when we lose. That's when I'm concerned. But as long as you have you, this vessel going through this, you can't lose. You're going to be okay. And, and you're going to create this life throughout COVID. And then on the other side, I think the one of the things that is really important to me is that we understand like, you know, having a 10 and two white knuckle grip on life until there's a vaccine and life is back to quote unquote normal. Is that how you want to look back and remember the season? You know, I, I hope one day when I'm an old lady and my, my friends are asking me about my COVID experience, I don't say I laid in bed and cried every day and waited for it to be over. You know, yeah. it's happening whether we like it or not. So it's up to you to choose how you want to experience it and how you want to show up during it and how you want to remember it later. And, 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 you know, you can't wish this away. So why not live your best COVID life? Yeah. And then on the other side, I think things are going to look a lot more like they used to than we expect. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So I guess in light of, you know, speaking to other people, you know, what do you think about the idea of, of mentoring other people and leading people. And, and I think in the season, it, it definitely feels to me that there's a vacuum of leadership in a lot of ways. And so how important is that idea to you? And, and how do you embrace that? I think it's important. However, I think it's also important to remember that mentors are also people who are living in the middle of a pandemic too. Yeah. So, so to remember that while you might need mentorship. These are also humans in the middle of the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. um, I believe in the currency of generosity. I believe in giving it away. I don't believe you have to monetize everything in life. I think there is, you know, the currency of generosity is that monetary side. Yeah. Um, but I would also say be respectful of those who are asked to lead and those who are asked to mentor because we're all humans with gas tanks and, and, mentors need time to refuel and take care of themselves and prioritize themselves as well. Yeah. Um, if you are someone who can help do, you know, that's yeah. what I'm doing um, with, with my business and, and what I'm creating and, and even things like this, like if I can give an hour and someone can hear this and it helps them, that's so great. Like I want to do what I can, yeah. um, but I also know where to draw that boundary. I'm really mm -hmm. good at drawing boundaries because 
I've had to, and I'll continue yeah. to do it. Cause otherwise I'll just, I'll burn out. I'll tap out. Like I'll watch three days of real housewives and <laughs> if someone doesn't protect my boundaries. So, yeah. so I protect my boundaries pretty hardcore. Yeah. So I guess on the flip side then, what, how do we be good students during this time? Yeah, that first point again, just be mindful that the mentors are also living in a pandemic. So don't over ask, you know, yeah. get what you need, but then give them the space. Um, the best thing you can do as a student is help someone else. I try to end every conversation with how can I help you? Yeah. Um, and and don't be don't be shy about answering those questions when someone asks you. And, uh, and also find other resources, you know, there's so much out there now. I think this really came up in Black Lives Matter and I respected it so much. Like, don't go ask your black friend for all their advice. They're, they're in the middle of this, like never before. There are 8 billion books and blogs and podcasts. And like, it's not, it's not for a certain group of people to educate or mentor or lead a certain group of people. I think we all have a responsibility in this. Yeah, yeah. shared. So let's shift. To, let's talk about stories. Um, you've shared several already. Um, you know, we love stories. We love to watch them, read them. Um, there's fictional, nonfiction. You know, what are what are what are some real or fictional stories that have shaped you as a person? Hmm. I don't really know if I know how to answer that. I can't think of. I I'm a consumer of knowledge and stories, but in, but in more of a piecemeal way. I'm a big podcast listener. I listen to on average, three plus hours a day of podcasts, mostly in the morning. I wake up early. I'm up at six. Yeah. So I pretty much listen from six to nine. Yeah. Um, today I listened to Armchair Expert with um, Dax Shepard and he had Bill Gates on. And, you know, I think Bill is a really fascinating creature. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Seattle. So there's, okay, you know, yeah. Bill, Bill was kind of like Bill for president when I was a little girl and he was a really big deal. Yeah. Um, but he talks about, his growing up. He talks about his privilege. He flat out says like, the reason I was able to do what I did was because I came from a good family that got me into this special school with computers at a young age, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I had read about Bill in Malcolm Gladwell's book. I think it was The Tipping Point. It's the really fascinating book that Malcolm wrote about like how certain things lined up perfectly for certain things to happen. And he talks yeah. about Bill, uh, same as he talks about Steve Jobs and some others that's like, oh, like, Yes, he's super, super, super smart. Like on 800 on his SATs and won all these math contests and stuff. But also he was just perfectly set up in these moments mm -hmm. in time um, where his talents matched the moment in time. And, you know, he was put in front of computers and all the things. Um, but I, I guess people's stories would be like what resonate with me the most. Uh, stories of humanity and humans. Mm -hmm. um, so I love biographies. I even, you know, I... I read totally different, totally different, but I read Jessica Simpson's biography recently, um, open book, and it was fascinating. I learned a lot about the childhood entertainment world and uh, mm. that I'm so glad I was never a childhood entertainer. <laughs> I would not have been cut out for that at all. You know, endless days and really just, you know, kind of being carted around and, and kind of a bit of a show pony. And um, so, so I guess that was a long way to say, I love the stories of people. Yeah. One of the most fascinating books I've read recently is called Three Women. If someone just wants one of the most interesting books, I would say, I, I don't want to generalize. I think women would enjoy the book more than men. Um, it's true. It's a true story 
that feels so crazy that the whole time you're reading it, you have to keep reminding yourself, this is not fiction because it mm. feels like fiction because it's so crazy, but it's called Three Women. And it's, a, it's, about, it's the stories of three different women. This um, author basically moved into the towns of each of them and lived within their lives for quite a while. And I don't want to give it away or go too far into it, but it was probably one of the most fascinating books I've read in a long time. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. So I guess based on what you said, I, I am curious, what do, you, what do you think about the idea of luck and choice and destiny and, and how much do we play a role and how much do we inherit and how much do we respond? I definitely think you create your own luck. And, you know, you look at like just today, they released a new podcast called, what is it called? Like an American something. And it's the podcast about Tiger Woods. Okay. And, you know, I have a lot of opinions about him, but, <laughs> um, but one thing you can't dispute is he worked the hardest, mm. you know? And um, so I believe you create your own luck. I do believe every once in a while, you know, stars align, sure. Yeah. Um, but even then, I think oftentimes if you pull back, you're like, well, you know, they really happen because blah, 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 yeah. right? Like, I see this in my business, actually. I um, recently had a really good piece of quote unquote luck happen um, because of an email that I sent. It ended up being a very good email to send. Let's just say that. And a friend of mine was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe just because of one email, you're getting all of this. <laughs> and I go, oh no, 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 no. Let's talk about what it took for that email to get opened and listened to mm. by the person I sent it to. Let's yeah. talk about 20 years. So, you know, that wasn't a lucky email. That email yeah. took 20 years to get opened, listened to and responded to. Yeah. So I guess then the, the other concept that comes to mind is this idea of standing on the shoulders of giants that we can see further, not because of our own merit, but because of what uplifts us or what advantages we have. So what are your thoughts on, on that idea? Absolutely, yeah, I don't think any of us are in this alone. And the, and the more we can come together, um, you know, the name of my company is The Collective for a reason. It's a collective of the very yeah. best working together. I believe in ecosystems of humanity so yeah, I, I'll stand on all the shoulders I can and I want people on mine. Like, come on, let's go, you know? Yeah. What, uh, what happens when we don't appreciate those shoulders or don't even know we're standing on them? I mean, oftentimes nothing happens. Life just goes on. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, like, not everything always has this big cause and effect. I think there are a lot of things that happen that people just go, okay, you know, great. Yeah. Um, what I would say is, and I'm guilty of this. I don't always step back and think, how did that sound? How did that look? How, how did the person take what I just said or did? You know, we're all just human doing our best. Um, so, so even if someone is standing on someone else's shoulders and doesn't appreciate it or realize it, I would actually get, venture to say they just don't have the headspace to even see those shoulders because they're doing so many other things. Rarely is someone taking and not giving or appreciating intentionally or consciously. Yeah. You know? hmm. Yeah. I always assume well, the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The spirit of generosity, as you said. So yeah. what about systems? So systems influence us. They, sh they shape our behavior sometimes directly or indirectly. Sometimes we create them. Like you said, the, your, uh, your six items in the morning. So what do you think about systems? How do you leverage them? Um, how do you leverage them in work? Do you resist them? Do you embrace them? 
I love system. Um, I will say the success that I've had in the early beginning of my new company is because of systems. I'm yeah. extremely systematic. So um, what uh, the day I was furloughed in late March, I do remember at that moment thinking, crap, you, <laughs> you have a very messy, messy LinkedIn um, network <clears throat> and you have nothing else. Email was shut down. You know, yeah. I'm not that kind of person who would connect with clients on Instagram and Facebook. So I didn't have that, like, <clears throat> excuse me. And so that day, the day I was laid off, I Googled free CRM and I found HubSpot oh, yeah. and I launched HubSpot. And so here we are five months later, I, I probably actually is exactly five months later. And I have 487 quality humans in my HubSpot account. Yeah. I set everything with timers, reminders, and follow-up systems. I have one hour a day dedicated to CRM love. I call it CRM love. And that's where I look at all my tasks. I do all my follow-ups, set all my reminders. Like, And I firmly, firmly believe the success that I've had early on is because I really looked at it systematically. Mm. Um, because it's, it's unrealistic to think that you as a person can remember everything and keep every ball mm -hmm. in the air. That's why technology exists. Yeah. I really love, there's a guy named Jordan Harbinger. Okay. And he has a program called Six Minute Networking. It's free. It's online. And if anyone wants a little bit of advice on how to like warm up or build their network, highly recommend it. Mm. Now, did you, have you always been inclined to embrace systems or is that something you had to learn? No, I've not been inclined to embrace systems. That's why the day I was furloughed, I freaked out. Okay. So if that's a smart, new discovery. <laughs> yeah, I was smart nine years ago. I would have started some sort of a system or CRM, yeah. but you know, better late than never. Yeah. It's, it's similar to, you know, when I shut down my company, one of the things I wish I had done um, a decade before that was blogging regularly. Yeah. Even if it was like a couple times a year, you know, just continue, slowly and surely building that. So that way, when I um, ended up freelancing, it, it would have been something that contributed to that. Yeah. So, you know, you've shared a lot of great uh, stories and insights with us. You know, what, what are some parting words of wisdom that you have for us? I mean, it's, life can be wonderful and it can be tragic and, and then everything in between and, and it's different for different people right now. So, you know, what, what would you say to us as, as your parting words? I would say that you're capable of more than you're doing right now, but you're also a human and be kind to yourself, but find that balance. But, but, this isn't the time to sit back. I actually mm -hmm. believe there are times to, that we're called to step up. And I believe yeah. this is one of those. So yeah. while I want you to be kind to yourself, which means if you put on the COVID-19 or if you, you know, lost your job and so your savings isn't, you know, what it used to look like, or if you're fighting with your spouse because you guys are in the house 24 seven together, be kind to yourself there. But I I really believe this is a time where humanity is being called to step up and help each other. And yeah. so I would say, look within and if you can find your currency of generosity, whether you're giving knowledge, time, money, effort, input, expertise, but give, like give something right now. There are so many people in need. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Tell us uh, how people can connect with you, where you're at online. Are you active on social media? What do you got going on? Sure. The best way to find me is on my website, amyogden.com. Everything is on there. 
Okay. Um, I love LinkedIn friends. So please find <laughs> me on LinkedIn. It's, it's on my website. Um, and yeah, I would love to stay in touch. It's, uh, it's been a really wild year. I do mean what I said. I think I'm personally going to look back on 2020 as the most pivotal year of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love for your listeners to get in touch. I want to hear from them, hear their stories too. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing and, and uh, being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For additional stories and systems to work smarter and live better, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we look forward to having you listen in to the next episode of Grow Your Life.